Hi, everyone. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Hey, it looks like the storm is finally letting up. Well, maybe the Sunday drivers will come out a hunting for gas. Ain't many folks can pay no 18 cents a gallon. <laughs> Eastern Airlines Flight 72, your Fiesta flight to Mexico and the ancient pyramids, now departing at gate 19. Hey, Bean, what's up? I'm going away. Forever. Oh, great. Could you get me a sandwich? Would any of you people like anything? I mean, since he's going out, he could forever? W Radio, your information Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is episode number 646, and together this and every week we'll celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more, as together we go from the parks to the screens and everything in between here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook, community books, audio tours, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can find everything else at www.radio.com. Beauty is very much in the eye of the beholder, but I'm sure we can agree that there's an abundance of beautiful art located throughout Walt Disney World, however we define what it might be. So this week, we're going to look at the top 10 art pieces in Walt Disney World's parks, attractions, and resorts and hopefully introduce you to some that you might not have even considered as art before. Plus, we share the never-before-revealed truth about one of Walt Disney World's most iconic, yet hidden, literal and figurative gems. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information, updates, announcements, and your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. What is art? That's the first question we are really tasked with when asking, before we even begin to approach the subject of our favorite works of art in Walt Disney World. And it's a question in which I believe every human being will have a slightly or greatly different answer for, which is beautiful and wonderful. And that's why when looking at our top 10 pieces of art in Walt Disney World, there are no right or wrong answers. And part of the fun is hearing the thoughts and opinions of others, sharing our own, and maybe, just maybe, having some fun and learning something along the way. And today I am joined by two people who I think, hope, pray, will help us do just that. Back once again is the lovely Kendall Foreman, who has been editor and writer for the WW Radio blog for years. She's joined me on past episodes like the Lost Disney Parks, the Disney MGM Burbank Studios, unrealized Walt Disney World attractions of the Disney decade and more. I'll link all those in the show notes. And Kendall, welcome back. 
Hey, I'm glad to be back. I feel like I've been let into the WDW Radio Sanctum Sanctorum here, getting to do a top 10. <laughs> well, and look, and this, and to be clear, this was your, I think, wonderful idea, which is why I'm excited to, to do this with you. Yeah, and it's funny because this, this idea, um, it, it kind of has like a circular quality about it because the very first WDW Radio episode that I listened to, I was working on a piece of artwork and it happened to be a top 10. So you can thank thank or uh, blame Tim for my presence in your life because the top 10 sounds in Walt Disney World was the first episode I ever listened to. Listen, thanking Tim Foster is even better than thanking the Phoenicians. And with that, no top 10 could or would be complete. We'll see. Without the wit and wisdom of one Timothy J. Foster of Celebrations Magazine, who, by the way, before we started recording, had just compared himself to one John Lennon. Okay, first of all, thank you. Second of all, it's G, not J. And third of all, I apologize, Kendall, for that being the first episode you have to subject yourself to a bit. Wow, I appreciate it. Well, now that we got that out of the way. But the top tens are fun, and, I, and, and I'm they really, are fun. really excited I love this, this topic. And we did not really talk about this ahead of time. And, and so I want to sort of ask you both the question that, that I led this segment with. You know, what is it, right? What is art? And, and I didn't specifically define, and nor did Kendall, any set parameters for this episode. And I, I think like, possibly a lot of other people admittedly did initially think about art quote unquote as something that exists on a canvas or a wall. But I very, very quickly leapt into sculpture and then some of the other visual arts as well. And and that is not to be very clear. That is not to certainly dim- dismiss or minimize other creative arts like music, etc. But we've discussed that specifically on other episodes. We talked about the music of Magic Kingdom and the music of Epcot. The other parks and resorts are coming soon. Stay tuned. But I do also very much recognize and acknowledge and love literary and dance and culinary. Look, I think many Japanese dishes are artistic in their own right. Uh, The spoken word, these are all artistic expressions. But Kendall and Tim, what is it? What is art? for you, because I think your answer is probably going to help define and and sort of lay the groundwork for some of the pieces of art that are on your list. For me, when I was looking at it, I tried to stick with what I typically think of as traditional fine art pieces, like a painting, a piece of sculpture, a mural. And I had a very hard time when it started to teeter close to architecture. Because I think there's definitely some things in Walt Disney World that you have to kind of balance. Is it is it an art piece or is it the architecture of the building? And so I, I tried to draw my line there. Uh, some of my honorable mentions might be more toward architecture. But for my top 10, I tried to stick with what I consider to be pieces of art. Well, for me, see, what is art is a very philosophical question, Lou. That's, and that's a whole that's a whole other subject. But um, for this question, I actually I tried to just stick with the visual arts because, like I said, it can encompass so much. And that would be something that would spin wildly out of control and, and should spawn, though, many more shows on music, which you've done and architecture and, you know, and all these other kinds of things. So 
I, I stuck to the visual arts and I realized that's plenty to get started with. So yeah, as far as paintings and murals and things like that. I agree because I think Kendall, to your point, we can very much expand this definition of things that are appreciated for their, their, their beauty, their emotional power and impact and, and imagination and skill and talent and all those things that go into whatever we all define as art. But, and I think and another reason why I was excited and am excited for this and so curious to hear where you go as well as where you, my friend, the listener, weighs in on what your favorite piece or pieces of art are. Because I think so much art goes not only when I say unnoticed, because it's 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 in front of us, but we sometimes don't take the time to necessarily appreciate it. And I think we're going to also talk about some of the artists and artisans, because so much art in Walt Disney World really goes, un, forget unnoticed, it goes unsigned and unacknowledged in terms of the creatives and creators that make these beautiful pieces of art. There is one notable exception that we'll talk about, I'm sure, at, at great length, which the artist was, to a certain degree, allowed to, quote-unquote, sign their work. But uh, Kendall, because you are my guest, and I still believe in Ladies First, and this was your idea, I would love for you to go first, followed by Tim, and then we'll sort of continue as we do to go around the horn and really engage in what I think is going to be an interesting discussion about our top 10 favorite pieces of quote-unquote art in Walt Disney World. Well, I've listened to enough top 10s to know that if I don't take my big one right out of the gate, then it's going to get taken. That's a good strategy. (laughs) So I'm going to go with one of the most immense pieces of artwork in Walt Disney World, and it's immense both literally and in its significance to Walt Disney World fans. And that would be Mary Blair's Grand Canyon Concourse Mural. And this is where I throw up my hands and go, fantastic. <laughs> like, Tim does this like it's a surprise. Like, he thought this was going to be know. His, like ace in the hole. See, my only my <laughs> only thing with, with Ken, see, when it's just me, I usually get the privilege of going first, so I can't snag that one. But I knew I was doomed out of the gate. But I'm glad you took that one because I love it. Yeah, it's a great piece of art. And I, I think one of the sad things is, is a lot of guests only experience this as they speed by on the monorail. So part of why I wanted to bring it up is because I want to encourage everyone, you know, get on the resort line, get off the monorail at the Contemporary, take the escalator down to concourse level and see this piece up close and personal. Because I think it would be easy to assume that this is just painted on the wall if you don't look at it close, if you're just you know going by quick on the express monorail, but it's actually a, a kind of painting mosaic combination of ceramic tiles. And these tiles weighed 54 tons when they were sent there to the contemporary to be assembled to create the nine story mural. And then another thing is that they're textured and that's something that you just can't really Uh, grasp when you're just on the monorail. When you get down there by it, you can see, you know, the outlines of each of the children and, you know, the glazes that are in it. And you can better appreciate the colors, which, I mean, that's just a whole nother, another conversation is Mary Blair herself, just her, her grasp of color theory that 
she she takes colors that just seem like they should never go together and yet somehow when you look at her art it's it's just incredible and simple geometric shapes and patterns and it creates a sense of whimsy in that Grand Canyon concourse that if it was not there the brutalist architecture of of that area i think would just take over this this mural was necessary and i think there's a lot of people too that don't completely understand why it is what why the subject matter is what it is and that you know it's why it's called the grand canyon concourse is because the internal structure of the contemporary was meant to mimic the grand canyon and you know, those glass openings at the end to make you feel like you're outside, even though you're inside. And so she took inspiration from Pueblo murals and Navajo art, like sand paintings, and just to create the children and goats and bears and owls and birds and so much to be seen on this mural when you get down at ground level. I love that mural. Should we talk about the five-legged goat? Yeah, I mean, you can't mention the mural without the five-legged goat. <laughs> well, there's a five-legged goat in the mural. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for some sort I'm, of... I'm like, waiting for somebody to jump yeah, in and well, go, yes, the five-legged goat said, was yeah, added by Mary Blair. Tim always complains we take away his thunder, and he says... And then I'm given the, the thunder, goat, and then and that's I all he's got is the five-legged goat. Um, Did, no, well, it's one, of, it's one of those great little hidden secrets in disney that you as a disney fan you discover it and you make it your own it's like that find that hidden mickey or that five-legged goat um which you can you can find it on the side of the mural it's on the so i get this straight the monorail side of the mural and you can see it best from one of the upper balconies on one of the floors and uh and there it's a goat and he has five legs and he's it's curious and it's cute and all that um, the reason for it, and I've actually seen variations on this, but um, the idea is that the, the subject matter that Mary Blair was going for, the Southwestern cultures and all that kind of thing, uh, part of the thinking was that no piece of art can be perfect. And ergo, she introduced the five-legged goat to kind of reinforce that notion. So, um, but, but it is a fun thing to look for. A lot of people still today don't know it's there, but uh, when you point it out, it's great to point out to your friends or family when you look at it and set little secret you can share. So I was found at adorable. You know, and, and I think this is almost universally as, as no pun intended, as we, as Disney fans, something that is enjoyed and, and has been appreciated probably even on a level that, even if you don't necessarily have um, an interest in, in art, it is probably the most viewed ever piece of modernist muralism like anywhere ever in the world. And and what I love about not just this piece, but all of the Mary Blair pieces. And remember, she goes back to Disney from, you know, the 40s and, and you know, her work on Small World is obviously very well known. What I love about this, and if you really take the time to look at it, like you said, Kendall, the expression in terms of these radical color shifts that sort of drift from the norm, but it really is almost this childlike eye that it is created with, almost as if a kid drew this mural or or put it together because it is textured with crayons and construction paper. And I think that's why it has the ongoing 
appeal to it and you can wa- you can look at it from a distance and appreciate it as a whole and then as you get closer to it you start to see the complexity of it you see some of the layers you see a lot of the detail you talked about her her color sensibilities are just they're wild and they're wonderful and they're beautiful like she does not stick to the primary she goes in sort of very radical directions which is why i think all these years later 50 years later this mural is still as beautiful and appreciated and today uh, as it was the the day that it was created and if you go down to the grand canyon concourse on level four and you walk over by contempo cafe it, it gives you an opportunity to sort of get up close and, and personal you can actually see where the mural is signed in tile work um, and get a sense of just the size of the tiles to your point and and the weight and the color and the intricacy and the beauty and the detail which is put into every single one of them and, and which is what a, a monumental project this must have been to put together. Yeah. I'm glad you bring up the signing because that was something that I found the last time those tiles and that it's not just Mary Blair who did, who got to sign it, but there's 13 other artisans who helped with it. And that's very rare in any of the art pieces at Disney world that you have the, the original designer, let alone all the artisans who took part. It was funny because I, I discovered that not too long ago myself and I forever had thought I, I never noticed it because it was obscured by the concourse steakhouse um, and all of the signage and stuff that was there. Although I did look back at old photos and saw, no, it, it was there the whole time. I just never noticed it. I, I think maybe the concourse steakhouse's entrance facade and signage in cases kind of distracted you from it being there. But yeah, when the Contempo Cafe come, I, discovered that and i went wow and yeah all the other artists were there too and um, you know what as i think out nice loud, discovery. this may be one of the most and i'll use air quotes uh, one of the most important pieces of art because other pieces that i think we can talk about could potentially be swapped out could be changed this is such an important element of the contemporary imagine going and uh, maybe I, I, and i'm awful at photoshop tim this is a project for you Okay. I want you to get a picture of the interior of the contemporary, and I want you to white out. I want you to sort of just make a flat front for the for that center column. And if you take away this piece of art, just how cold and barren and industrial this building might feel if it wasn't for this. See, I can do that. I have to be careful, though, because if I send that out or put that up, somebody will grab it and post it and say, oh, my gosh, look what they did. And then the Internet will be outraged. So I got to be I got to be careful. with that. Well, I want so then just to sort of from a mental perspective, you know, if this wasn't yeah. there, just how different the interior of um, mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. contemporary would look. So. Um, yeah. All right, Tim, let's um, I, I'm, let's go with the flow and, and see where you take us first. Let's see, where are we going to go? <clears throat> um, let's let's go over to Epcot. Uh, actually, before we go there, I want to say about Mary Blair. Um, one postscript would be if I had the, the Lumangello way back time machine. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I would love to go back to Disneyland. It's just thinking the same thing. Circa, yes. Yeah, in the 60s when she she had put similar to the contemporary she had two massive murals in Tomorrowland. Uh, which I've looked at. They're beautiful. They're not there anymore, regrettably. But um, another example of her brilliant work. So 
So you can't see it today, but you go online and check it out. I encourage everybody to go see it because it's really, really, really and, and like, isn't it interesting? Because like the contemporary, you've got the this you got this Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. this land of the future. The <clears throat> contemporary is this building of the future, and you have such a simple, you know, multicolored, you know, wild use of the color spectrum and something when you think of the future was, you know, grays and blues and, and et cetera, that a lot of times are, at least in, in Disney World, is what sort of the vision of the future originally looked like. So it was out of place, yet wonderfully made the made the space. Out of place, but in place at the same time, somehow. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, so speaking of tiles, um, I thought we would go over to the Land Pavilion in Epcot. Um, this is a, uh, these are the mosaic, uh, the mosaics that are on either side of the entryway as you enter the pavilion. And I will say, I, th- I feel like most people just go right by them and barely even notice that they're there on their way to get to Soren or living with the land. Um, but I do encourage everybody when you going into the pavilion to take take some time to look at these murals because they are spectacular and they're beautiful and they're worth a few minutes of your time to to uh investigate uh they depict a like a cutaway of the earth like all of the different the strata and the layers and and all that kind of stuff which which mimics the the surrounding landscape which at one point i don't know what it looks like these days but they very carefully put plantings and trees in there to have that same idea of going from the ground up to the point where the trees on the top were white to mimic the clouds and so forth. One of the stories about um, the mural that I've heard for a long time, and I have found this, and you may be familiar with this, is the legend of the Emerald Tile. You guys are familiar with this, I trust? Yes. Yep. Yes. So here's the thing. So people who don't know this, on the right side mural, as you're approaching the land pavilion, the idea is the two murals are identical in every way, except for this one emerald color tile. It's not an actual emerald, or else it would be long gone, I presume. Uh, but there's an emerald tile on the right-hand side of the mural. And it is there. I found it. And uh, cast members will point it out to you. They, hey, I'm looking for the tile. Oh, it's right there. Um, legend has it, and I've heard this for years, that that tile was the the birthstone of the artist who made the mural and was her way of signing the mural pretty cool huh right because to our point artists were traditionally not necessarily allowed to sign their work whether it be mosaic or painted etc so i was wondering though if this was true because it's it's a very nice story but if you investigate it on the internet and look around, you'll start seeing variations of this story. Like there's a similar, there's a ruby tile on the other side. And the identity of the artist is somehow different. It was husband and wife and it's husband and daughter and all that so forth. Uh, and just to clarify, the um, the people who put, not not designing the mural, let, I will say right out of the gate, the designer of the mural itself was Walt Pierogi, Pierogi, hope I'm saying that name right, um, who was a color stylist and background artist for Disney, worked on Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, and Sword in the Stone. He's the, act, the actual person who designed the mural, did the, the artwork and so forth. The people who crafted the mural, same people that crafted the mural in Cinderella Castle, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. 
And uh, Monica Scharf is the daughter-in-law in the in the story, and it's supposedly her birthstone that's on the side. And I was trying to track down that this was actually true. If this was another one of those Disney legends. And through a bit of sleuthing, I found out that she's actually still running a mosaic shop. They still do mosaics for pools and businesses and homes out in California. And I had the good fortune of talking to her yesterday. I called her up and she was actually there. And I was very, I was very thrown because I first, I was gushing, like, I love your work so much. And she was very sweet. And I asked her about this, if this story was true. And the first little um, bit about the story that clearly is not true is she confirmed her birthday is in October, as is mine, which is not the birthstone for an emerald. So uh, that kind of put the light of that story there. She did mention she had heard that story, but it wasn't true. They never had any intention of doing such a thing and they they didn't purposely do it. She surmises that perhaps the tile got maybe misplaced by somebody on her team and they replaced it. But um, so she she did confirm that that it's a nice story, but it wasn't something that was ever intended. So I was very surprised to find that. Kind of sad that that kind of ruins that myth. It is it, a really cute story. And it's a nice story. But um, um, on the other hand, it was really great to talk to the person who actually put that mural together. So. Tim Foster, this is yeah. huge. It's this huge, is isn't it? Isn't it huge? This is breaking news. This is breaking news. So. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not one who normally likes or falls for the breaking news. Number seven will amaze you. But number two is going to amaze you because this, <laughs> you literally have it from the artist herself. That the from the artist herself. That we have yeah. heard for years, right? Since yeah. 1982. This is the story that has been told and continued to conti go on and, and really sort of also, like you said, morph into variations of it. Um, for yeah. one reason, it's it's a very extended telephone game. But now we know that that it is not true. It was not this signature. It was not a tribute. It was not this hidden thing that the artists intentionally put in. But I do. There is something quaint about the crafting of the story behind it in order to justify why that was there. But Tim Foster, you have you have shown light on a story that for years we have known we, we have believed to be true, but clearly is not. See, but there's a, there is a tinge of sadness though, because I don't want to be the guy that <laughs> spoiled the magic because it is a wonderful story. I don't think it spoils the magic. I think now we yeah. understand. I think we sort of just know, yeah. you know, that we know, the, and then maybe the story will continue on. Like this is the story that was told until, 2021 when tim foster spoke to <laughs> August herself. Yeah. and to be clear that it's that the emerald tile is actually there and it is unique for whatever reason it's just not her birthstone and uh, I, you know and actually to the point if she did purposely put it in there um the one thing we know for absolute certainty her birthday is october 10th so <laughs> i remember that and that's not emerald and she was the first one to point that out so um but anyway but it was great talking to her. She has some stories about the Cinderella castle mural, too, which we'll get back to because I'm sure we're going to talk about that soon. But it was very wonderful talking to her. Oh, I just have to say, I, I have to kind of admit, I love it. It's kind of like <laughs> the bride bride rig story at the Haunted yeah. Mansion. Like, I kind of love it when there's just like an everyday explanation for something. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like just I, well, knowing the truth. Like, I like just knowing the real story yeah. behind it. Yeah. While, it, while it might sort of shatter, you know, the, 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 the cuteness of, uh, you know, a father doing this as a tribute to his daughter or whatever it might be. I am happy that we do know um, the truth about it. So thank you for doing Tim Foster, you have in all the years that we have done this. Um, bravo to you, my, my friend. Um, first time I, I contributed first- something that was worth something. <laughs> <laughs> You've redeemed years of doing zero research with one phone call. So. All right. Uh, good night, folks. I had a pleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah every can't... time, every time Lou tries to bring up one of those like trivia questions, just throw it out. I, I'm the one who called Monica Sharp. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you now have carte blanche for all the go with me here's that you need to. Uh, Thank you, because I've got. I'm coming. sure you're going to have a lot more today. So, but the one other thing I wanted to mention about the land mosaic, which I love and I think is beautiful, and and I too now mistakenly have shared that same story. Is I want you listener to appreciate the size and the magnitude of, of what this is right there. 120 feet long. There's 150,000 different tiles that are made up of glass and marble and granite and slate and, and all these different um, uh, materials to make it look like, you know, not just the layers of the earth, but almost like flowing lava there. There is almost a, sense of motion, a a kinetic element to it. And the other thing that I think is notable about this that I'm sure you don't know, you don't notice until you stop to notice it is that the mosaic is not confined to the walls of the land pavilion. Because if you look down on the bottom, the tiles actually curve onto the ground itself. There's a couple of maybe a foot and a half, two feet of tiles that are on the ground itself and and this too i've heard different stories about how and why this is here and, and maybe tim now that you guys are on a you know on a bestie phone now call that now that this, we're we're friends yeah i call her and and see if this is true because i had heard stories that this was very much by design it was completely intended to sort of to not make it feel like something that was stuck to the walls, but something that truly was flowing and had this kinetic element. While I've also heard stories saying that there was an an error in the measurements of what the artist had created versus what the actual size of the wall was. And rather than either expand or have to shrink down the mosaic design, they decided to curve it onto the floor itself. Either way, now we have another potential cool story that maybe we can find the answer to. But ah, next time you go maybe. by, notice how the the mosaic art does not necessarily end where the wall meets the ground, but sort of actually curves into the ground itself. But more than anything, I would love the takeaway for this story to be check out the mural. Like for, the stories are aside, but it is a incredibly beautiful mural. I said, most people walk by it. And, and when I was talking to Monica, she, she actually expressed a little dismay when I mentioned that mural. Oh, most people just go right by it. They never see it. I said, no, no, no. We're going to talk about it and we're going to make sure people see it because it is beautiful. And I think it's, and I think in addition to seeing it, I think you need to stop and you need to touch it. I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're a very tactile people. And I think sometimes feeling it and touching it and, and feeling the layers and the cuts is important to the understanding and appreciation of it as well. Uh, I think it's only 
fitting and natural that we sort of continue in this vein of uh, mosaic murals that are been created by the the Sharf family and and the fifteen by ten foot. Um, Elephant in the room is certainly the Cinderella <laughs> Castle mosaic. Um, yep. These five incredible murals that tell the story of Cinderella um, inside the breezeway of Cinderella Castle. Obviously, you have seen many know the stories and the secrets and the details. The sister's face that's red with anger, the other green with envy, and and Cinderella trying on the glass slipper. slipper. Some of the tributes to um, you know, artists like John Hench that that are in there as well. But the same thing, this idea that this is a massive art installation with hundreds of thousands of pieces that range of a spectrum of 500 different colors, some fused with sterling silver and 14 karat gold, some incredibly small. Again, this is one that that you need to stop and look at and appreciate and touch. Some of them are, are you know, nearly you know, thumbtack size, little pieces of, of smalty glass that are made by Italian, it's called smalty, made by Italian craftsmen for this type of of installation. And uh, Hans, I'm going to mis- mispronounce his name, Hans, it's not Joachim, it's, how do, how do you pronounce it? I heard jo- Joachim. Joachim. Hans, we're going to just call him Hans. Hans, Hans is fine, yeah. led a team of six artists that put this <clears throat> mural in place that would de- that was designed by the late Imagineer Dorothea Redmond. And this is one of those uh, locations where one of those few locations that we mentioned that the artists have been able to sign their work. Both Redmond and Scharf are acknowledged in the far right corner. And I love that. And I love the mm-hmm. fact that for whatever reason the choice was made to allow them to sign and and tile their work uh, is one that i appreciate because the hope much like what we're doing here is that guests who are not familiar with a dorothea redmond or a hans scharf will stop and pick up their phone and either not just take a picture of it but take a moment to learn more about them and the work that they've done not just on the mural, but elsewhere. When, uh, I was, and talking to Monica, who also worked on this mural, she, she told me a cute story about it, which, which is great because this just kind of make, makes the mural more personal. We can relate to it more. Um, she was telling me, this was one of the first, she was just learning how to do all this at the time. And it was the first time she had done people in a mosaic. And she was telling me, I didn't quite understand how this worked, but she's saying when you do mosaic tiles, you do them, from the backside and then they get put up somehow, but she basically, that's how you do it. And she said she was very nervous getting to the people because she'd never done one before and she never do them backwards. And she was very nervous about getting the eyes right, but it all turned out well, but the, that was a cute story to hear from somebody like actually did it and you get, get a little behind the scenes how they put it together. So. Yeah, there was some um, kind of some background information going with that in a, an old Disney news magazine from 1976, where they gave some details about this mosaic and Mary Blair's ceramic tile mural. And they talked about, like you said, how they would assemble it in reverse. They, they like glue it to paper 
in reverse and upside down. And then they'd have to wrap it in plastic to transfer it so that the glue wouldn't dry. That way, when it got there, they could put the sheets up when the glue was still kind of wet and then be able to rub the paper and rub, you know, clean the glue off afterwards. Well, they did a wonderful job, as tricky as that sounds. Right. And you can see why it took, you know, almost two years in order to create this this mural. And that's what I mean. I I mean, when you talk about exquisite pieces of art, um, you know, these, you know, they're 15 feet tall mosaics and the design work, the craftsmanship and the artistry that went into not just the design, but the cutting and the laying of these tiles is, is for somebody who is not an artist or artistically inclined is overwhelming. And, and the reason why we bring it up is because I think it needs to be appreciated, not just for what we see on its face, the telling of the story, but for the true craftsmanship that goes into it. Do you know, he got, do you know um, Hans got his start making um, make mosaic tiles, tables for Neiman Marcus. Really? Yeah. His first job when he came to the United States was making, he made like 5,000 mosaic tile tables for Neiman Marcus. And then in the early 70s, he got his daughter-in-law, Tim's friend, Monica, <laughs> now on the first name basis. That's got right. Got her into the business to study along with him. And then, like you said, she's continued on after he passed um, mm-hmm. in the early nineties. Yeah. So, all right. So um, Kendall, let's go back. Uh, let's go back to you. Okay. I'm going to head over to Epcot for what I think is probably the closest thing to an actual museum, a gallery you know, installation museum in Walt Disney World, and that would be the American Adventure Rotunda paintings. Mm. And um, over the years, I think maybe some of them have have moved, and there may there may they may not all be on display right now. But there's 12 pieces of art that were completed to be displayed in the rotunda. One of which is a base relief sculpt- sculpture by Blaine Gibson, and then the rest are paintings. And what I think is interesting about these is that they depict American archetypes without depicting a specific moment in American history. But when you look at it, you can immediately recognize, yes, that's the westward movement or that's, you know, the Industrial Revolution. That's, you know, the space race. And then at the same time, most of them were completed by Disney Imagineers or people who had very close relationships with Walt Disney Imagineering. And each one takes on those artists' specific styles, but also some of them feel very much like famous American artists. Like you can look at a couple and say that that really looks like a Norman Rockwell or that looks like a Winslow Homer, you know, or a, a Gottlieb Loitza. And um, but at the but like I say, at the same time, it still retained that individual artist like Robert McCall, who is known for his paintings that he did for NASA for depicting the space race. And you can very easily pick out which one is his when you look at him in the rotunda. Um, I just I think these are are pieces of art that are very easily overlooked just because people, you know, sky in there quick before the show starts or, you know, the voices of liberty are are in and of themselves, but oftentimes you're so captivated by their music in the central portion of the rotunda that people don't necessarily wander around the perimeter to take in these paintings. 
this was very much on my list. It was very high on my list, and I'm happy you brought it up as as quickly as you did because, and again, as somebody who is not an, an art student, um, I just have a you know just a genuine appreciation for it. You know, people talk about you know what we're talking about art versus quote unquote fine art and where that line sort of is in between. But a lot of the people that you mentioned who are artists for Disney and who created a lot of these pieces were not just Disney artists and Disney legends and Academy Award winners, but are, you know, incredibly trained fine artists as well. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, Robert McCall wasn't, was, didn't just do work for Disney, but he did, magazines he did postage stamps and her Ryman graduated from the Art Institute of Chicago with honors by the way and I think to your point what the reason why this was on my list and, and so high was I, I love how they're portraying these important moments in American history but humanizing them all it's about the people who are in the photos, uh, the 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 pieces of art, as opposed to necessarily the art itself. I love the promise of America. Um, the the Herb Ryman, he is able to capture such emotion in relatively small figures. There's a massive amount of figures that are looking over at this beautiful sunrise or sunset over the the Statue of Liberty, which is just gorgeous. The Bill Flemings, the Clem Halls, the Sam McKinn Thanksgiving is that that capturing the moment of a modern traditional american family gathering around the table just literally giving thanks um, the mike lloyd staying in the course there's a lot of um feelings of of emotion and motion in there and i think a lot of people know the tom gillian defending freedom there's the the gigantic airplane hangar where they're constructing some of the B-17 bombers, and there's this amazing uh, visual effect that takes place. If you walk, if you stare at the bomber that's in the foreground, and you'll see that there's a worker there assembling the nose, if you stand at one side of the painting and keep your eyes focused on there and walk over to the other side, it almost as looks like it's a haunted mansion but flow, you know, bust because it almost looks to follow you, sort of the, the perspective... So it feels like it follows you. You'll understand it if you do it, or I'll have to make a video showing you exactly what it feels like. But it's a it's a great intentional or otherwise bit of illusion that's in there as well. And you're right that that Robert McCall uh, NASA with the space shuttle, uh, one on the base and one in fl- one taking off, and then another one up in space. Uh, especially for when this came out in terms of of this this massive leap forward in american space travel uh, i think there's a lot to see and a lot to appreciate there uh, on on many many levels uh, and i'll just echo the idea that most people do probably walk right by them and i that would probably go for most everything we're going to talk about and i think every one of these could get a little footnote of where we implore people to Take the time to look at all of these things and investigate and spend some time. American Adventure, spend some time in the Rotunda and walk around and look at the, the paintings and, and the galleries and everything else that's in there. Because um, it's not just about the show, as wonderful as the show is. And maybe even, you know, and if you like some of these pieces, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you go look at, you know, the, the Lesson for the Future by Guy Deal 
and and do a little bit of digging. And there's a couple of really really good Disney Parks blog posts about these pieces, but about some of their other work that they've um, that they've contributed to during their time at Disney. Not just in terms of painted pieces of art, but working in um, in other theme parks and in motion pictures and and a lot of animated work as well. Agreed. So Timmy Foster, go ahead. Tell us what other big superstar celebrity breaking bit of news you have in terms of Walt Disney world history and art. Cause now you've set the standard. Now the bar has been set really high. Well, we can only go down from here. So here we go. (laughs) So when I was talking to Sam McKim the other day, he said, um, no, for I think for this one, um, keeping to not not quite over to paintings and murals yet. There's another piece of art um, that is around in a few places. And I wanted to point it out. That's the the stained glass windows that are in so many places. And there's three in particular I wanted to talk about. I will preface this by saying I don't know the artisans who are responsible for these. And I don't know if that is known. But if you guys knew who they are. Please chime in because um, they definitely should be acknowledged. Um, the first one I love, and I'm not—I don't think you can see this anymore. I might be mistaken on that, but this was in the France Pavilion, in the library and gallery before they re- refurbished everything with the new layouts of the stores and so forth. And this was the gallery; it was behind one of the stores, and it was just a place that was full of all kinds of. Uh, knickknacks and books and and sculptures and all sorts of things. You could see the Beast's Rose there. You could see um, books, uh, French versions of Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and all kinds of cool things to discover. And one of the things that was in there was this beautiful series of three stained glass windows, um, uh, which depicted uh, Belle's village, the Beast's castle, and the rose. And they were exquisitely designed to put together. Um, at this point, it would be a go online and check them out to see because I don't believe you can see them anymore. If I'm mistaken on that, let me know. But um, since they refurbished everything, the gallery itself is not there anymore. Uh, when you can still find, though, is in the Grand Floridian lobby, those domes at the top, way up at the ceiling, which when you see everybody leaning back in the chairs and on the couches, looking up at the ceiling. That's definitely what they're looking for. They're beautifully crafted, incredible to look at. Um, I love checking them out at Christmas with the Christmas tree below them. That's one everyone can go check out. And I'm going to definitely go see those. Uh, One that you can find, but you have to make a sort of a pilgrimage to get here is in the the DBC showplace in the reception area. If you go in and take the tour, um, when you walk in, there's a, where you come in, there's a fireplace, welcoming desk, beautiful series of stained glass windows up above you, circling you. Um, among other things, there's depictions of uh, Cinderella Castle, Sleeping Beauty Castle, the castles from Paris, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. And again, beautifully detailed and a wonder to look at. And as I mentioned, I don't know who the artists were who put these together, but regardless, they're incredible to look at. So if you can get over to the DVC, take the tour, you'll get a You'll get a little gift, too, but you can check out the murals there. And uh, relaxing to the Grand Floridian Society Orchestra and looking at the amazing stained glass domes above you is always a welcome treat. Tim Foster, I've known you for a long, long time. We've done a lot. You you have. You have. Too long. I am. 
I want to give you the biggest. I am you back to back, belly to belly, knock it out of the park. I didn't even think of stained glass, and I love stained glass. Um, I, I yeah. think stained glass is is becoming a, a relatively lost art, and it's sometimes one of those things we don't think about until like now we stop to think about it. And as you were saying this, I said, "Oh God, you're right. I love the stained glass in." The BR guest restaurant. I love yes, the, the yes. three panel mural in the France Pavilion and all these different examples of stained glass that I didn't think of before we sat down to record this are coming to mind now. Uh, Cinderella's Royal Table. Yes. Has great stained glass. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. yeah. You see, now I'm thinking of all the other ones too. So, yeah. You know, one thing I found, I'm, I'm actually, this is a totally unrelated story, but I'm working on. <laughs> I'm making a 3D CGI model of Cinderella Castle. That's a whole other story. But by virtue of doing this, I'm learning more about the castle than I ever known in my life. I know what it looks like from the top, from the bottom, from the side and everything else. And one thing I noticed was in the restaurant, the windows on the back, uh, they have stained glass crests on. Them. But every one is unique. And I never really picked up on that as just casually watching or casually being in the restaurant. But now that I examine them. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Just and just a another example, just at attention, fanatical attention to detail that they put into everything, you know. And that's not even talking about the stained glass windows in the in the castle suite, which depict the slipper, the invitation, the castle, and, and all, and the key, and all that kind of stuff, um, which are fun to look at from the outside, from the from the back, standing over to the left side of the castle. Look up there, they are so. And you know, it's, it's fun to point out. Look up there. You know. As we're talking about this and we talk about this, the the incredible artistry that goes into it, it, it reminded me a couple of years ago at at my, at my Momentum weekend workshop, um, one of the attendees who I became friends with is a stained glass artist. And he mm. brought in examples of some of his work and talked about the length of time that it takes to cut the glass and do the lead and, and the process that it, that, the incredibly uh, labor intensive, um, you know, handmade process that goes into it. Um, I'm going to post a question in the WW radio clubhouse at www.com slash clubhouse. That's our group on Facebook asking people to share not only their favorite piece of stained glass art, but if they have a picture of some of their favorite stained glass art that maybe we're not even thinking about right now, ah, yes. I would love to see it as well. Cause you know, I'm thinking of, um, the UK Pavilion has some great stained mm, glass art yeah. in there as yeah. well, too. Oh, so many. Really nice. Nice, really nice pull, Tim. I, like I said. Yeah, yeah great I pick. Like it. Yeah. Wow. Now, how do I... Something I've never said. Can, I go, can I go now? <laughs> how do I follow Tim Foster? I mean, I've never had to say that before, but now I have you, to think. Yeah, you've never. You never thought those words right, would Right, so in. where do I, you know, what... what I don't... I mean, I have a few that I'm, that I'm excited about. Um... So you know what I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go from the parks to a resort, and I've been practicing for hours trying to say this correctly. It's the Ebo Eagle. It is the Ebo Eagle um, mask at the Jumbo House at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, which is a destination. the The lodge lobby itself is a destination itself, especially if you want to learn more and have what really is almost like a museum-like experience for what is the the North America's largest collection of African art. There's more than 500 different 
different African artifacts that are on display throughout the resort. But you cannot miss this mask that does not sit in a case, but it it sits 16 feet high, 8 feet wide, and is 240 pounds and really is an actual mask. And it's the only Ijele mask that is known to exist outside of Africa. Uh, It was acquired by Elizabeth Echepar, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, who lived in Nigeria with a family of Igbo people while she was a graduate student, built a relationship and commissioned them to create, build, and initiate this mask through a number of rituals. And this, this, the Ijele is a is a, is a very large, very respected mask that has a very complicated construction as well as meaning to it. Everything that you see has significance, um, meaning in terms of the different aspects of Igbo life with the material that's used, the uh, colors, the designs, the fabrics. And this was commissioned by a team that involved four men that worked eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week for about six weeks in complete seclusion before they move it to an outside area for final touches. And if you look very, very closely, there's this wonderful kaleidoscopic rainbow effect. There's all these different tassels that are attached to the arches and the framework. There's about a hundred different stuffed little figures that fill out the spaces on the headdress that represent daily activities like riding a bicycle or, you know, getting fruit from a tree. The spirit world is represented by a number of different masks as well as plant and animal life represented through various species throughout the mask. But this is actually a mask that a performer dons and goes through this incredible physical and spiritual preparation for an event and with the help of others goes under the framework, steadies the mask, and then there's this entire Ijale orchestra with drummers and flautists and dancers and singers to prepare the crowd for the entrance of the um, the person who, this man that walks in and performs a dance while wearing this mask. Um, and this is something that happens not every year, but once every decade or so. And that's part of the reason why this is such a, a very rare, very special piece of art because of its significance culturally, its significance in terms of the only place that you'll be able to see a mask like this, uh, the importance and this look, everything about Disney is, is about story, but everything about us as humans is about story. And I love the fact that there is such an incredible, rich cultural tradition that follows the creation and the execution of the wearing and the displaying of this mask. I actually had considered that one for my list. And in the process of looking up some information about it, I found a video from UNESCO that, you know, documents heritage sites and cultural activities. And, and there's a, they have a video you can watch that shows an individual wearing one of these and, it helps you understand exactly how immense it is because all you can see are his feet and ankles. And I can't imagine how heavy that is to put that on and wear it for the ceremony. And it's a, and the person that's wearing it is usually a a young, uh, a a young member of the group. It's, you know, it's a, it's a young boy, not even a young man, but it's a, it's a younger boy that, that is 
again, doesn't just wear and is sort of processed with this, but actually has to dance in it. And if you've never seen the mask, go up to it. Or if you have seen the mask, you could understand the size of it. You can't imagine a person, let alone a young boy, wearing and having to dance with it on. That's what's funny. You talk about layers of discovery Disney so much. And this this whole show is like all about that. Like you talking about that. It's just a reminder. This isn't just you know, attractions and popcorn carts and that there's so much to discover here. Yeah, like all you said, I, I need to put this on my list of things to go see and discover and learn about. You know what? I think for my next, maybe I'll do it next week for my next WDW radio live on Wednesday night. Maybe we'll go to Disney's animal kingdom lodge, not just for the bread service, but so <laughs> we can go and do a little cultural tour of some of the art. Um, there you there. go. So I can actually show you what the mask looks like. Love it. Kendall, I believe we are back to you. Uh, I have to pick between two that I really like. Um, this is it's so funny. It's like drafting for <laughs> fantasy football, right? Like you don't. Yeah. Know, this is yeah. Gonna be there later on. So, yeah. So we're going to take it. Um, My next one is super silly and obscure. So don't worry. I'm not. No chance. I have, I have an obscure one and I have one that's close to my heart. So I think I'll go for the one that's close to my heart first. Okay. Um, my first film that I saw in the movie theater was Little Mermaid. And I remember when they released the DVD that had the, you know, the kind of animated CGI version of going through this attraction that they, you know, they had taken all the way through development and never built and thinking, why, why did they not build this attraction? Like my little, my little girl heart is breaking. And once undersea or journey under, get the name out, right. Under the sea journey of the little mermaid opened. I could not wait to go ride it. And I feel like this attraction has one of the most underrated cues of any attraction, mm-hmm. probably be because a lot of times the line is short and and not even all the rooms are open. But if you're there on a day when they're all open, take time, look at the ceiling, look around. There is art all over the ceiling in there. But where I'm going is to the giant mural in the load area. Um, this thing is immense. I don't I don't know the full distance, but I do know it was painted in the Disney Hollywood Studios scenic shops. So if you remember riding the backlot tour and seeing how big the scenic shop warehouse was, you can find videos or video and photos online of this mural wrapping the scenic shop. And sometimes it's kind of hard to judge how big it actually is when you're in that load area because you're, you know, you're getting on the moving walkway and you're trying to get into your attraction vehicle. And, and I think a lot of people just miss the mural entirely. Um, but it's a beautiful sunset. It has Ariel on the rock. It has Eric's ship. It has Eric's castle, tons of pinks and blues and just so smooth and almost iridescent. And it was all hand painted. It was designed digitally, which was the first time that they, the Imagineer said they had done this. They designed the mural digitally and then used um, like mobile tablets in order to help them reference. And then also just some traditional drawings and sketches as well for reference as they put the paint to the canvas. And I, it was funny because when I mentioned to my husband, we were doing this show, I said, well, I think I'm going to include the, the little mermaid load area mural. And he's like, what are you talking about? 
<laughs> and I said, the mural, the beautiful mural that's there. And he's like, I don't even remember that. So I'm sure he's not alone. So that that's why I include it. You know, my little girl heart wants everyone to pay attention to the Little Mermaid mural. So I love this. And, and your husband's reaction is a perfect example of, and I know I say this all the time, but it's true. There are some treasures like this that are hiding in plain sight. Like we've all ridden the attraction, but we don't necessarily know or remember this map. And it's massive. Um, and, and actually Disney Parks blog put out uh, a sort of a making of video to your point about using the digital technology and then t- iPads to sort of get up there and get close. And when you see the mural and then little teeny tiny human beings standing in front of it, you really get a sense of just how big it is. And, and, to that point, I love the fact that some of the art that we're talking about is on this huge, grand concourse-like scale, these huge mural scales, and then there's other that are smaller, a little bit more intimate. The stained glass windows is a, is a gorgeous example of that. Art doesn't necessarily have to, it's, it's not about the physical size of the canvas, literal or otherwise, that's being used. Art comes in all different sizes and shapes, and I love the fact. I love the fact that I admittedly didn't even think of this. You walked right by and didn't even notice. Yeah, I didn't even think this is. And I tried to. I mean, I literally sat down and I went park by park, land by land, attraction by attraction, resort by resort, in my mind, trying to see what jumped out at me. And I'm. And I was negligent and not even thinking of of the Mer- Little Mermaid. Well, actually, that brings to mind, and maybe I'll, I'll throw this. That's going to do it for part one of our look at our top 10 art pieces in Walt Disney World. Please share your thoughts about what your favorite piece is or comment on our list so far by being part of the community and conversation and discussing this week's show and anything else you want over in the WW Radio Clubhouse group on Facebook. You can find it by visiting www.radio.com clubhouse. And please be sure to tune in next week for part two. Time for our Walt Disney World, or in this week's case, Disney Cruise Line Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of the history, details, or fun facts of what you've seen, heard, tasted, or remember. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. But this week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. And I'm not kidding, because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WW Radio to life Every live broadcast from the parks, contests, and giveaways, they are all thanks to and because of and for you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month, plus get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, group video calls, access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and much more. To find out more and help support our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, for last week's question, I told you that this Friday, August 27th through Monday, August 30th, I will be on the Disney Dream, both live on Facebook and through my Instagram stories and photos, so I wanted to share with you a cruise-related question. Because, of course, I cannot wait to get on board, not only to show you what's new, but, of course, to <clears throat> research and sample 
all of the different dining options. And one of my favorite places and times to eat is up on deck 11, usually late at night and early in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. But there, there's a number of wonderful, casual, walk-up, quick service locations. And your challenge last week was to tell me what movie are these locations themed after? First, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew, of course, that the answer is Cars, because the four locations are Flo's Cafe, Luigi's Pizza, Tomater's Grill, which I love, and Fillmore's Favorites. And I promise I will show you each of these locations as well as all the others on this week's coming live broadcast. Again, WW Radio Live starting Friday, August 27th and Instagram.com slash Lumangelo. But last week's winner, randomly selected, is Allison Sheehan. So, Allison, congratulations. You use the online form, so I have your prize package. I will get it out to you right away. And if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I am obviously incredibly excited to get back on the dream, more importantly, to share the experience with you live as it happens. So we're going to stay on the dream for this week's trivia question and just simply tell me how many captains can you find on each Disney cruise ship? Now think carefully how I phrase that question. How many captains can you find on a Disney cruise line ship? And I will give you a hint. It is more than one. And the first one I'll, I'll even give you is the ship's captain itself. There's the captain of each Disney Cruise Line ship, and there are one or more other captains that you will always find on board each Disney Cruise Line ship. So you have until this Sunday, August 29th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on the Sweets podcast, use the form there. And again, this week you're going to play for not just a WW Radio pin and a WW Radio keychain, which you can only get as a prize, but I'm also going to send you a mystery prize that I will buy for you on the Disney Dream when I go this weekend. So good luck, spread the word and tell a friend, and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Don't forget to tell me your favorite piece of art in Walt Disney World or maybe any new ones that we discussed on this week's show by being part of the community and conversation and joining our WW Radio Clubhouse group over on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me on social. I'm at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. You can also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Let me know your favorite piece of art, one that we might have missed or that might be coming on part two of next week's show or just with a question, a comment, or hello from the parks. And please be sure, don't forget to turn on notifications, not just in the WW Radio Clubhouse, but on the WW Radio page on Facebook, so you don't miss our Wednesday night live broadcasts every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, as well as other unscheduled live broadcasts from the parks, and obviously this weekend coming on Disney Cruise Line. If you have any specific questions about Disney Cruise Line or anything you want to see, you can ask them during the live broadcast or by posting the question in the clubhouse. I will take those list of questions with me. Be sure to cover it when we are live this weekend. Speaking of Disney Cruise Line, I'd love for you to join us on Disney Cruise Line for one or more 
of our WW Radio group cruises, including our Marvel Day at Sea, February 5th through the 10th, 2022, out of Miami, our inaugural cruise on the Disney Wish, June 20th, or our Very Merry Time cruise on the Disney Wish on December 5th. You can find out more and get a free no-obligation quote by going to www.radio.com slash events. Speaking of events, thank you to everyone who came to our Meet of the Month this past weekend in Epcot. I love, love, love being able to get together in person, face-to-face, handshakes and hugs, or air high fives, whatever you're comfortable with. It was so great to get together as a community, as an extended family, and see so many new friendships form. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you didn't get a chance to make it to this week's Meet of the Month, stay tuned. I'll have information about September's Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World coming up very soon. And I cannot talk about family without extending that to the WW Radio Nation. I appreciate your love and the support and the community and the help. And I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Kelsey Ayers, Angela Batista, Anna Wiener, Zach Farrell, and Dan Spadoro. Your initial welcome packages are going out to you right away. And again, to find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month, please visit www.radio.com support. I also want to try and help you turn what you love into what you do. And so tickets from my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, November 13th and 14th, are on sale right now. We are 50% sold out, but we still have early bird pricing just for about seven more days until the end of the month. So if you want to find out how you can grow your business, brand, blog, or idea and make real changes while you're in the room as you learn, share, network, and make positive progress, please visit lumangelo.com slash momentum. I promise that together we will use one little spark to keep moving forward and make real positive changes to your life and business. And if you can't make the event, just visit lumangelo.com to find out how we might be able to work together with one-on-one mentoring or small group coaching. Huge thanks, as always, to MEI and MouseFan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. You can get a free no-obligation quote by visiting mousefantravel.com. Huge thanks to Dave Rashoni from djrmusic.com for the princess medley that we use as the intro and outro for this week's segment. If you're looking for your own theme or jingle or score for your podcast or video production, or if you're looking for some of Dave's original compositions inspired by Disney music, you can go and visit djrmusic.com. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word by telling a friend about the show, by being part of the community and sharing a link to this or your favorite episode or just the podcast in general on social. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts. It is very, very helpful. Takes just a few seconds. I want to thank Charles111111 who says, Outstanding show. Lou's brought more than a podcast to Apple Podcasts. He's really developed a family of Disney fans through all kinds of weekly content here on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. Beyond the content, he will truly do anything to help you, which is true, to build a brand and chase a dream in any way he can. Great show, but an even better community. Glad to be a part of it for many years now. Keep up the great work. And Queen Anna of Arendelle, wow, says, I'm hooked. I'm a new listener and I'm in love with the show. I found the show through listening to a different podcast and decided to try it after enjoying the conversation Lou is a part of. Wow, I am so glad I did. Lou is so genuine and conducts wonderfully unique conversations while putting in so much work into each episode. I can't wait to hear more. Queen Anna and Charles, one, 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 one. Thank you so very much. And again, to leave a review, just search for WW Radio and Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for instructions and a direct link. Finally, most importantly, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love and appreciate you so very much. I hope you understand and believe me because it is true. And if there's anything that I can do for you, please let me know. But my one final request for you this week is to please go out there and choose the good. Find the good in everything that you do because I promise you that the positivity that you have is going to be contagious and positively influence and impact others. And I think we could all use a little bit more of that right now. I hope that this truly is your best week ever. I love and appreciate you. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Laura from Rochester, New York. First time calling, and I've been listening to your show for quite a while now and actually trying to go back and get through all the episodes. And, of course, that'll take a long time. Just wanted to say I'm going to Avengers Campus for the first time next week. Looking forward to trying that pretzel, and now I'm Googling pictures of it online, as well as a chicken sandwich, and my son and I are both eagerly waiting to share that. Thanks for everything. Bye. Hi, Mr. Lou. This is JJ and Vita from Rhode Island, and we're here to talk about the Pim Tuff's Kitchen, episode 645, that you did. What did, what did you think? We really liked it since we will be arriving in California in five I days. Did. So we were very, hmm, we're very happy that we know what we can get at Pinterest Kitchen. What are you going to have? I want the big candy bar and the big giant soda and, and, um. Peanut butter. And, and the peanut butter and jelly. And bacon banana. And bacon banana smoothie. Bacon and banana sandwich? Yeah. Yep. And, and DJ the big chicken sandwich, which is basically just chicken. And a bun, too. Yeah. All right. That's all we have. Thank you for the podcast. We were very happy. And we Bye. want to go to Pinterest because it's so badly. All right. Thank you. Bye.